0: One of the best things about Randall's is all the friendly and helpful people. And now, Randall's is looking for more great employees just like you. That's right. All Randall's stores are now hiring friendly new faces to join their team. Ages 16 and up can apply today. If you or someone you know is looking for a job with flexible schedules, great benefits, career advancement opportunities, and even scholarships, then have them stop by the nearest Randall's store for more details. Randall's, it's just better.
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio, I'm Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Seth Partnow, Managing Editor of Nylon Calculus, one of my favorites, and it was great to have him on. This was a very interesting time, just with how it worked out with our schedules, because last night's pretty massive, Thunder, Spurs, Game 5, and what we've seen through the rest of the playoffs so far, and also you know, just kind of thoughts more generally on everything else, and for those of you who like timestamps, there will be timestamps in, I believe it's called the description of this, so you can do that. It runs about an hour and a half, and I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thanks for
2: having me. It's good times.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that where we have to start is the game that occurred not that long ago, about 12 hours ago, and that is the Thunder taking a significant 3-2 lead on the Spurs. And since I know that it's where you and I both want to start, you maximizing your offensive possessions is very important if you're San Antonio. And when, when Ennis Canner is on the floor, it opens up some possibilities for maximization.
2: It does. And it's something that you've talked about a fair amount. Is like there's actually – there's there's things that he's good at defensively. And that's if you're going to try to just battering ram him you know, in the post – He's is a big strong dude and that's not really your best advantage that's when San Antonio the last couple of games it seems like when they've been going at him it's been trying to have like Aldridge back him down whereas there was a, about a 3 minute stretch at the end of the second quarter and then a couple possessions in the fourth quarter where they ran you know right at the end of the second quarter when when the Spurs went on an 80 run uh, every shot but one and the one was a was a, a fairly bad Aldridge fadeaway that happened to go in. Uh, But other, other than that, every possession, they ran pick and roll at Cantor and got every shot they wanted for, you know, the last three minutes of the half and basically just didn't go back to that.
1: And it's something that I think is worthy of consideration more often, which is that we often think about players as being good or bad defenders, but there are so many aspects of defense, just like there are so many aspects of offense, and certain guys are very good or very bad at different things. And another example of that from this series is if you give Dion Waiters a specific assignment and just say, hey, you stick on this guy, and, I mean, sure, he'll get caught in some screens and things like that. He does a lot better than when you try to have him be a team defender. So when you are the offense, your job is to know the best that you can with that and try to make them do what they're bad at.
2: That's, it's actually funny considering that, you know, Dion is a Syracuse guy and, <laughs> yeah, I, it's just funny because, you know, you're coming from the, the, the super team defense concept of that 2-3 zone to, but yeah, no, you're not wrong. It's just, it's just amusing that that's the case.
1: Yeah. And so when you, when you get into that, then what, I, I ran it on this on Dunktown last night, but... What's harder for me to take in that is that if you have a good enough system or whatever, then sometimes you can barely get away with not taking advantage of the, the other team's weaknesses. But the Spurs offense is not good enough to give them that luxury.
2: It's not the perpetual motion machine it was two years ago. That's a function of person of personnel as much as anything else. You know, between the ascension of Kawhi and, and the addition of Aldridge and the you know, the decline of their of you know, perimeter ball handlers really. You know, Parker's been been good in stints this series, but not, not as consistent in Ginobili and even Patty Mills have just been far less good at kind of creating that initial crease that they used to be just so good at at swinging the ball side to side and exploiting, you know, kind of continuously.
1: Yeah, and and also the Spurs play less guys now that are even with with those guys. They play less players who are good at dribbling and creating. A lot of that is done deliberately because when you have somebody as good as Danny Green defensively, you want to utilize him, but a weakness of that is that it is harder for the ball to keep humming when you have that on the floor, when you have Aldridge who is... He's good at many things. He's not a great passer, and so you do have to change it. But Tim Duncan, while not a dangerous guy, when you necessarily when you give him the ball back, and there was a big play in the fourth quarter where he, you know, he got the ball back in space and just missed. He actually got blocked by Ennis Kanter. But he still sets amazing screens, so you can have a different goal with what you want on that offensive possession. But you have to really, you have to want that and know how to use it.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's right. And again, it's it's. What we envision as spursy basketball, you know, going back to the, 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 the 20, you know, the 2014 playoffs is that, all right, they, they create that little, that first, you know, they, they get a little wedge of space and then the defense is recovering and then they're, they're moving the ball all over the place until they don't get a good shot. They get a great shot. And that's not, that's not their offense anymore, just for the reasons we've mentioned. And so that means that, that you have to, do a little more to to find the better stuff on that initial action, and and I think that that kind of far too often they're 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 not doing that, and just kind of you know it's if, if we're talking soccer, they're playing route one a lot. It's, you know, it's like ah oh, well, dump it into Aldridge on the left block, and he'll do something for and that since, I don't know game two, um, pro- honestly, probably since game one that hasn't really got them a whole
1: lot, and. You run into a challenge when that is something that a lot of your players want. You know, LaMarcus is, I think, in a lot of ways, most comfortable with that kind of a setup. And Kawhi can do a few different things, but I think in some ways Kawhi's offense is is more comfortable either doing catch and shoot or in a little bit more of a stagnant situation. And when you have players who are major forces in your offense that aren't necessarily fighting for that better shot, that kind of mentality, it makes it a lot harder to execute.
2: Yeah, and and again, so that's, that's, you know, choosing where you, where you, choosing that initial point of attack a little bit, a little bit better. Oklahoma City is a team that, that, you know, has some, some, some kind of foibles in specific situations, as you mentioned, as we've both mentioned, and, and, and like, you know, the glaring one is, is again, Cantor's defense in space. If he's gonna, if, if they're gonna roll out that, that two-center lineup with, with Cantor and Adams, and you don't have necessary, doesn't seem like they have enough uh, to really deal with that on on their on the Spurs defensive end in terms of the the backboard especially they have to take advantage of it on the other end to the point where it either it becomes such a disadvantage that's unplayable, or it becomes such a dis- disadvantage that they win a disadvantage for Oklahoma City that they win, and the Spurs aren't aren't doing that. They're they're kind of they're giving up the, the mismatch to Canter on on OKC's offensive end and not doing nearly enough to exploit it on the other end.
1: Yeah, and that's just a a way that you have to handle a a situation like that, is that you? you, sometimes you go for, like, you could maybe call it a higher variance strategy. I'm not even sure that it necessarily is, but you you try to get the other team off it. And to a point, with the current rules, that's really what HACA is trying to do. In in a lot of ways, most of the time, it can be done to try to get somebody off the floor.
2: Right. uh, (laughs) Although I I think that, that we should probably draw a distinction between Targeting a, a, a slow-footed defender and pick and roll and hack uh, in terms of of the enjoyability of us the viewing public uh, in the, the strategy, but yeah, it's it's kind of on the continuum of seeking tactical advantage.
1: Yeah, it's definitely in terms of watchability. Oh my god, I mean that that couple-minute stretch in the Warriors Blazers game in game in game five was ridiculous. But it, actually, that leads me into where I wanted to go in a weird way, which is how has Thunder Spurs Uh, if it has, affected the way that you've thought about either of these teams facing the Warriors in the next round?
2: Um, I think it's sort of confirming what I've been saying for for, uh, most of the year is that I think that, that Oklahoma City matches up better uh with, with the warriors i don't think either team has a, has a great shot against them but weaknesses that that oklahoma city is exploiting in san antonio are the kinds of things that that golden state would exploit even more is if, if there's a team that's uh better designed to kind of deal with what the spurs are are throwing at them offensively than the warriors um i'm not sure the kind of the lack of athleticism defensively that is being exploited in, in, on, on the backboards by Oklahoma City, uh, is gonna be exploited kind of in a, by a rain of three pointers by, the, by the Warriors.
1: And on the other end, one of the things that we've been talking about with the Spurs is that they're kind of doing their own thing regardless of what Oklahoma City is putting out there, and that is death. Against the Warriors because the Warriors are good enough defensively that they don't have to make those same choices, and so if they can, if you can get into that, the Spurs iso Ball guys aren't so good at that that the Warriors will struggle to shut him down. Whereas Oklahoma City's are quite good.
2: Yeah, and that's and, and I think that's the you know the the sort of the puncher's chance. I'm kind of noodling over in my head who I think is a is a better all around player between. Kawhi and KD. Um, I think in a matchup with the Warriors, the advantage that Durant has in kind of as a, as just an individual scorer is, is just more impactful in terms of that matchup. So, and I think that, that, that in and of itself between that and kind of Westbrook's kind of physical dominance is almost the epitome of a puncher's chance. And I don't think that San Antonio has really the, the equivalent of that against Golden State.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. The downside for Oklahoma City in that sense is that their their defensive personnel, I think, isn't particularly well suited to the Warriors because Westbrook struggles on screens and all that. And also, I'm not sure he's willing to give up the assignment, which is relevant in some cases. You know, like if the spur, if the if the Thunder theoretically had a Danny Green, would they be credit? Would they credibly be able to say, "Hey Russ, you're going to slide over and guard whoever Clay or Harrison Barnes or whatever," and curry with his assuming he's you know healthy and all that he d- does so well moving off the ball in particular and using using screens even as a ball handler that that could be a big issue but i think the larger structural things really do run oklahoma city's way as opposed to the spurs
2: yeah and this is you know we've i think we've seen this in in three of the four warrior spurs games it hasn't been so much it's 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 been the thing that really hurt San Antonio a lot in those games was, uh, their offense breaking down leading to kind of discombobulated defensive possessions. Um, and that's why, yeah, the, the, the Thunder aren't, aren't going to be as good defensively in kind of set half court situations, but they're going to be reasonably close and they'll just also be in conceivably be in less kind of our offense was just awful and then we're slow getting back kind of situations. Then the Spurs have found themselves when they, you know, they've thrown the ball against the Warriors, they've thrown the ball over the gym, they've, you know, done some ugly ISO post-ups, they've uh, had bad floor balance, a lot of just fundamental breakdowns that their inability to kind of crack the the Warriors' defense, the Spurs' inability to crack the Warriors' defense has, has really imposed on their defense. And, you know, it's not like Oklahoma City's defense has always been, you know, super sound, but at least they're going to put themselves in fewer kind of ugly spots than the, the, the Spurs have, you know, in that matchup so far this season.
1: And along those lines, another thing that Oklahoma City does that the Spurs do not is pushing off turnovers, and when they have an advantage, they're much more reliable about doing it, not necessarily in terms of generating great looks, but in terms of actually pushing, and the that Spurs... timeout.
2: time out, um... <laughs> which, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um,
1: but, but so like, I mean, the Warriors are going to commit turnovers That's at this point, that's just kind of part of what they do. It's yes. and, and so Oklahoma city is better suited to taking advantage of that. And the Warriors half court defense is so good that if you can't get those kind of points on them, it's going to be really hard to win. Yeah. And again,
2: the, the, uh just the the singular ability of of guys to create on their own like you know like kd especially is as good an antidote as i think that you're likely to find to to golden state's defense because you know if if their your defense is predicated on you know a lot of switching a lot of you know shutting down actions well okay we're just not going to run any actions and give the ball to KD and he's going to shoot over a guy he has a seven inch height advantage on. And, and, you know, he's one of the best ever at doing that. So uh, we'll, we'll ride with that and, and, you know, switch that kind of thing. And, and that's, again, that's, that's the puncher's chance what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. And I think the way that the way that I think you and Nate both kind of put it when you did the Q and you were nice enough to do the Q and a that for the athletic is this idea of, of variance, which is that basically that you know, whether or not, and I think the Spurs are a better team than the Thunder, the Spurs are, are consistent, but they're consistently a little bit worse than the Warriors, whereas the Thunder can vacillate, and that gives you the puncher's chance.
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And also, like you said, just the, just the playoffs are, are just much more about, you know, kind of direct comparison matchups on both ends of the floor, and, and those run... You know, in a in a comparative sense, those are uh, I would say less unfavorable to Oklahoma City than they are to San Antonio in in that matchup.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And so something I've been thinking about, but haven't written or anything like that. But I think now is as good a time as any to throw it out there. Is that I'm becoming more concerned about how the Spurs are going to look the next couple of years and a big part of that is rim protection which I fetishize more than more than most more than most more than most people even in our part of this world because you know Duncan's getting a little bit older and they don't have anyone else and while they have a lot of other great players it's going to be very hard if whether Duncan plays and isn't what he was or even if you know if he retires heaven forbid it's going to be very hard to get a functional replacement for that unless a guy wants to take a pay cut to play for the Spurs.
2: Yeah, and that's that was one of the big questions uh, when they were adding Aldridge, um, as he has in his most of his career has not been a great rim protector, which is you know surprising given his stature and athleticism. Uh, this is actually something I when when they signed him last summer, I I spent some time looking at and you know a lot of guys who you know split time between power forward and center you know they and have mediocre rim protection kind of metrics if you break it down further by the time they're playing center versus the time they're playing power forward they start to look a little better uh, in their power forward minutes aldridge is kind of an exception to that whereas at least in regular season play it doesn't doesn't work out that way he's been you know very competitive uh, in the playoffs the last couple of years, uh, less so this year, though. I think there's been numerous instances of of guys come just coming right down the lane and him uh, I don't want to say shrinking away. Uh, there's one in the first the first quarter, but uh, where he kind of just let waiter score. but at the time he had two fouls, so that's that was more understandable, but just not putting up as much resistance as you kind of need from a guy in that spot,
1: yeah, I think that's a really important point, and that. And some of it is also a mentality thing that, you know, that he's, he played power forward most of his career, and I'm guessing that switching into that mode, and, and it's, of course, not only do you have to worry about how a guy plays when he's in foul trouble, but you have to worry about how his foul commission rate changes when you give that kind of a responsibility because the big difference between guys like Rudy Gobert and players who are a little bit lower than the totem pole is being able to defend ably without fouling so much that you're going to get in issues.
2: Yeah, and that's actually one of the, uh, I, I think, that why kind of the, the backup defensive center tape guy can look good in kind of 15 minutes per game and then less so when you blow him up to 30 minutes a game is, you know, if, if you know you're playing 15 minutes a game, you don't have to worry about fouling out, basically, because you, you're not going to play enough for it to matter. And especially if you're a guy who has kind of the, uh, the offensive burden as Aldridge does, then you're kind of, you have to, you know, make that calculation of, of, you know, how, how aggressive you can afford to be, especially once you start to pick up a foul or two. And, 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 you know, it demonstrably matters that how kind of that, that level of aggression, you know, for any big man just kind of drops when they're, they're close to, you know, being in quote foul trouble.
1: Yeah, but on Whiteside, I mean, Nate, you and Nate talk, like had that kind of conversation, which led to a piece for you on how that affects us on Whiteside.
2: Yeah, and he's in Whiteside. Whiteside white is kind of an outlier um, in terms of how much it affects him, but it's it uh, it, it it's consistent across you know any number of, of big men that that you see just you know uh, not contesting as many shots at the at the rim, allowing more shots at the rim, um, drop offs and like offensive rebounding and stuff like that. Um. Which, you know, all the things where you would expect if, you know, trying to kind of avoid contact might put you, you can kind of see those, those you know, those minor but impactful drop-offs.
1: And it makes sense because, like, I've been critical in the past of Clay Thompson, who is not a big man, of course, but because he doesn't, sometimes he doesn't understand that he's an important player and commits fouls as if he's like kind of more of a bench guy, and that him getting his third foul in the first half isn't a big deal when it really is, and it's the same kind of idea that you, in, in the reverse that you, if you are important to the team, it, you have to have that in the back of your mind.
2: Yeah, and so that's I think that circles back to that's that's something that that they're going to they're going to need going forward, and you know it's almost regardless of what Duncan does to be honest, just if he's if he's now a a twenty minute a game guy which is you know eminently plausible going forward. Like what Bob um, is. Yeah, they're gonna need you know they're gonna need their they're gonna need they're gonna need a Zeely, um their version of a Zeely. I don't think Kawhi is if there's one at one area of defense where or Draymond Green has a has a You know, is just better than Kawhi. It's it's that it's defending the it's defending the rim consistently. And you know, we're not both can you know Kawhi can obviously make the highlight block and everything like that. But you know, Draymond has gotten very good at kind of rotating himself into uh, contesting shots without fouling um, or without getting fouls called. I'll say since he since you know once you get a certain defensive rep, you you get you do get more leeway. That's just I think that's just you know, an accepted fact at this point. Um, But he is, he is by virtue of spending so much more time, you know, as as a power forward and or center, he's gotten very good at that. And that's not something that Kawhi necessarily does uh, yet. And some of that is they just don't use him as the four uh, as much uh, Kawhi.
1: And and Kawhi is such an adept perimeter, one-on-one lockdown defender that giving him the reps necessary to become that rim protector might not be worth it. You know, against some teams, that's that's a wonderful thing to have. But, you know, if you're facing an opponent that possesses a Stephen Curry or Kevin Durant or LeBron James, I don't think it's a good use of resources to have Kawhi as your rim protector. You want him as your stopper.
2: I, I agree. Let's, I, we're looking forward to, to a team as if they've already lost, um, which might still happen, though. Well, I mean, would we would either of us be terribly surprised if the spurs actually at this point I might be I would I be a little surprised I, but yeah.
1: but I think as people have said that like I I got some crap I did a Reddit AMA and somebody asked me about how the hawks matched up against the cavs before that before hawks Celtics ended and I'm like you can still talk about what's coming in the future, even without without saying that series is over, just because it's interesting. You know, I spend yeah. I spend most of my life thinking about the future because of, because I do CBA work. I mean, a lot right. of that is is a year in advance. But going back to the fouling idea, and this was another thing that you wrote an interesting piece on, and I think this connects with Enes Kanter, which is that in the playoffs in particular, but also at the beginning of games, players get away with more contact, and when you're backing down Enes Kanter, he's a physical dude. Like, Popovich was complaining at one point in the game that he was giving Aldridge forearms, but they're just not going to call that in the playoffs.
2: I mean, you know, Aldridge is Aldridge is ramming his back into into Kanter, and, and they're not... They're 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 not giving that call either. So that's just you know, like you said, it's it's you know, irresistible force, immovable object kind of kind of situation. And and uh, yeah, I I haven't I haven't had a problem with how that's been that's been officiated. Uh, yeah, also, I, I
1: was thinking of it more in the Lisa. I think it was Lisa swinging her arms and Bart kicking, or was it the other way around? And then basically <laughs> until, until they ran into each other,
2: right. right. Yeah, and it, it, it's something that Aldridge has been used effectively against Abaca a few times. You know, he's, especially early in the series where he's kind of... It seemed this game that Abaca did a did a, a much more concerted effort to keep uh, Aldridge away from his kind of left shoulder in the middle of the floor. And that limited it somewhat, but early in the series, it was just he was just getting backed under the rim repeatedly. It, 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 I don't, I want to say it's rich, but I, I think it's it's. Um, uh, I think Popovich is expecting a little too much if he's expecting that to be officiated differently now that Oklahoma City has has put a stouter defender on Aldridge to to kind of, to kind of combat that.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. Have you been surprised by how effective the Warriors have been in the games that Curry hasn't played so far in the playoffs?
2: Not at all. They're, uh, you know, they're, one guy does not take a team from a 40-win team to a 73-win team. That's just no player in NBA history has been that good um, in, in, you know, the – you know, there, there's been guys who, who maybe take a, a, you know, a 15 win team to a, a, a 45 win team. LeBron. I think, <laughs> I think we've seen, but those are, you know, that's, 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 those are just kind of easier wins to get than, than the, the, than the other, the, than, than, you know, going, you know, not to the middle, but from the middle. So, you know, they're, if you had to, if you have to estimate, you'd say they're, even without him, they're a low mid fifties win team. And I think they played, they've played like that, you know? With the you know that that team that can occasionally have some struggles, but also has you know just excellent defense to fall back on, and then a couple playmakers. I mean, two all stars, two guys who are who are probably going to be you know all NBA second and third team respectively, and and, and that that hasn't come out yet. It's it come not. out today,
1: but but yeah. yeah, I think that the Warriors' defense without Curry has not surprised me. They have a lot of intelligent players as well as physically capable. But they've been able to get better offense, and of course, part of that is that they faced the rockets who were just a disaster defensively. And Portland, that is incredibly inconsistent and usually not good. But they've been able to get they were able to get into their stuff more reliably than I thought they would. And a lot of that comes back to what I think people have misplaced with this warriors team. They talk about the shooting, and of course, that is incredibly important. But the unselfishness and the intelligence and the skill level, of this team, top to bottom, is I think a such an underrated part of what makes them incredible.
2: No, yeah, absolutely. Again, it's it is the comparison that I that that uh, you know I, I think we've both been making is that it's this you know without you take Steph off the team, they're the they're the the '94 Bulls, not the you know the '2011 Cavs not not the Cavs the year after LeBron left, but the Bulls the year after Jordan left the first time. Draymond and Scottie Pippen is, is, is not a bad comparison, I'll say. Um in it's in general. I quite like that comparison. And that was a really good team that was that maybe, you know, should have gone farther in the playoffs and is more remembered for kind of Pippen taking himself out of a game that Tony Kukoch then won than than for actually how good they were and how good he specifically was that season. But and-
1: and you plus, know, the league's talent level has been so watered down since then that that Bulls team would be dominant.
2: Uh, you're... Dumb.
1: <laughs> I love how much you hate that. <laughs>
2: <sighs> I just, like, I I hope I, I hope I, you know... I'm actually, you know, like, like like Barkley is not that much older than me, and I hope that, you know, in, in a decade, I am not yelling at clouds.
1: Yeah, and I, the, the, there are a lot of things that many former pros can can appreciate and can attest to, but like, I'm not as knowledgeable, though I did watch uh, watch some of it with 90s basketball, but like, they're talking about the idea of the physical rules, but the amount of physical prep and scouting that they do now is a huge counter the other way and zone defenses as well
2: like the the there's different kinds of of we might have talked about this before but there's different kind like yes there's not you don't have the situations where you know the quote like the jordan rules pistons where a guy comes in the lane and five guys just like punch him in the in the kidneys like you don't like yes it's less physical that way but you know the amount of pick and roll the amount of just like ridiculous falls from height that people are taking the just the 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 constant grinding all over at five spots on the floor yeah fine there's there's less cheap shots now but the amount of physical contact go watch some 80s playoff games and see how many times there's like four defenders kind of in the paint with their hands on their hips As, you know, a guy like catches the ball at 19 feet on the baseline and shoots a jumper. Soft is not the, is just not, not right. The fact that it's more skillful doesn't mean that there's, you know, less physicality. It just means the ratio is very, is different, is more towards skill and skill because the skill level is higher and the rules and the, and the prep and the, the, you know, the system, the systematic complexity demand it.
1: Yeah, and you talked about falls from height, and I was thinking about the Hawks. Was that in Game Four or Game Three where it seemed like every single guy on their team fell on their tailbone?
2: Yeah, and that's you know that that can get us get into a you know a band the charge discussion, but you know, like you just you like oh, oh that had to hurt. but we bounced right back up. That that's just, that those plays just didn't happen as much then because the the, the guys were less athletic.
1: Yeah. And, and I th- and w- there are a lot of factors in that. And yeah, let's talk a little bit about about the charge. And so, there are a couple of different nuances to it that I think are really important. And the one that I'm fixated on right now is the idea that it's not good defense. And so you're rewarding a, you're rewarding a behavior that would otherwise be considered negative.
2: Well, I think we need to, to just back up a, a, a second and and. Uh, and just first understand that 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 all the rules are completely arbitrary sure and that's really important because well how else do you play defense if well you change the rules and you play defense differently if it's a better like if it's a better game if you do things differently then then make it a better game and you know it's i i kind of understand why kind of the the coachy types like the charge it's it's in the absence of better ways to measure defense that kind of like visible efforty sacrifice stuff is a is a proxy and that's you know i understand that but that's visible efforting isn't always good defense especially in a situation where if you're sprinting all over the court you know that might be your system but it's it's more likely that you've broken down somewhere else so finding yourself in that situation is like an in- indication of bad defense. Um, I you know I've been been watching a lot of hockey as as the playoffs are going on too. And something they like to say is like you know all right, blocking a shot is good. Having to block a shot is bad. I, I think I kind of feel like that's a little bit okay. That is effective help defense if they're going to make that uh, make the offensive foul call. But having to putting yourself in the situation where you have to do that is bad. And then thinking about Like, it's just, it's ugly and injurious, so let's not reward that
1: anymore. And it leads to an uncomfortable level of physical contact, especially uncontrolled physical contact in some ways, that is completely preventable.
2: Yeah, and that's I think that's what I mean by injurious. Like, getting back to, I think, what was game four of the Hawks series, like, the the one play I think we're both thinking of is where, you know, Cephalosha was maybe slightly out of control, but going to the basket and, like, LeBron, like, jumped, out in the charge circle and uh, cephalosha kind of clipped him and fell on his tailbone and and yeah and and the, the problem is is that under under the rules as written and enforced leBron's play was completely legal not that it was a missed call it's like you like you've a, a play where a guy is like running and jump stopping into the path of a guy about to take off and that's rewarded and encouraged and I think that's Something that should change. I think it's, it's, I think that, that, uh, that, uh, uh Big Waz of, of Troop TV fame that has been making this point that it's, it's a rule that probably, that maybe makes more sense in, you know, high school and, and college level where the, the consistent level of athleticism is such that, it isn't such that, you know, that kind of play is always going to be, you know, a, a guy three feet up in the air, you know, getting his body clipped and falling over backwards.
1: Right. It's like, it's like the difference with the way contact exists in the NFL versus in high school and college football, because when you separate out all of the people who are the best athletes, the nature of the contact between the players is functionally different. And another example, the one that actually crystallized it, well, I mean, was already pretty strong for me was when most Spates, because I was there in person when most Spates tried to draw a charge on Kevin Durant at half court at the end of the first half this was in a regular season game last year and that's what led to Durant's injury that kept him out most of the rest of that year
2: yeah i mean it's basically like you said it's just it's just jumping in somebody's way to 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 be in their way like oh surprise as opposed to like i i don't think either of us have a foul of uh, a problem with like the the guy you know the defender actively guarding the ball, like beating the guy to a spot and drawing an offensive foul that way. That's that's good defense. That's yeah. you, you, if, if you're not allowing that, you're basically disallowing defense because, you know, you beat him to the spot. And, uh, you know, neither of us want to disallow help defense, but we want to make, I think, to, not to speak for you, but speaking for you, uh, we want to make, like, help defense actually helping defensively, not just standing there. Like, if you want to slide over... I I like the verticality rule. Uh, I think that's good. Jump up and contest the shot without like whacking the guy with your arms. I, yeah. I think that's that that's both that that's a better solution in terms of of you know guys meeting each other kind of at the same height. I think that's more entertaining basketball. That kind of that kind of like physical confrontation is just more aesthetically pleasing, at least to me, than like the pass and crash.
0: Yeah,
1: like to me to me there are two things with that. One is. The line for this, and people get, when you say ban the charge, people get freaked out, like, oh, you're not going to be able to play defense. It's like, no. The, for me, the charge that you want to restrict is when the, player, the defensive player is, has not been engaged with that ball handler, with that offensive player. That's the circumstance that's the big issue, because then it's a guy sliding in or a guy coming in, as, as you said, as a help defender. And then the other part with verticality, and I think this will come with time, but the refs are going to get better at it, is I think a lot of players right now are interpreting verticality as being from the waist up. And that, like, this is the most notable play for me with this was Cody Zeller on Dwayne Wade, and to me, a horrible missed call, when Zeller basically jumped forward into Dwayne Wade, but from the waist up, he didn't move. So he's like, oh, I was vertical. It's like, no, that's a foul. You can't do that.
2: Right. Again, I, I think that, you know, ban the charge is, is is a hyperbolic hashtag. We 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 know that. I think it's just... Um, changing the sort of benefit of, of the doubt on that call more strongly to the offense. Like, if a guy is standing there for, legitimately standing there for, you know, two seconds and you just barrel into him, okay, that's a foul. That's an offensive foul. That's fine. It's the one that I think we both hate. And I think that the charred circle while well intentioned, I think, uh, leads to this, which is, alright, you've, like, the LeBron play, he's jumping forward to get himself set Outside the charge circle and that's that 's the kind of thing that 's actually causing a lot of these contacts is you know he 's moving forward into the space that that is that is open as the guy is is gathering to jump and, and the then
1: looking at the circle too as opposed rep- to necessarily looking at the contact
2: yep and that's and that's and that's you know it's you're asking a whole lot from from a referee to be able to you know all right where 's his feet what 's his body doing but you know all at the same time the same guy and it 's just you know. I think asking them to perfectly adjudicate that is tough in the best of times. So let's err on the side of, okay, that's probably a block unless I'm absolutely certain pure economic terms that'll disincentivize the the going for that play, which will make it less frequent, which I think from a, an aesthetic standpoint, we'd all like. Or at least the two of us would like.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of other people would too. The way that I would describe what an offensive foul would look like is more like, I believe the term in college still is a player control foul, which is basically when the offensive guy is out of control and barrels into a dude. That's a foul. And to me, like that should even, depending on the circumstance, you know, like that could be a foul even in the circle if the guy's, you know, just not doing. You know, the guy just runs into another dude. It's not like, oh, you're in the circle, therefore, you know, this kind of contact is fine. You you can get into ways that that work it out. But
2: as, <laughs> I don't think the college interpretation is necessarily right. You right, want to but go it's it. it's
1: the mentality, not the interpretation. Right. right. And, yes. And really, what you're looking at with with all of the kind of rule rule adjustments that I would consider, I'm also I'm a fierce advocate for the FIBA goaltending rule, and a part of the reason I'm an advocate for it is it's way easier to officiate.
2: No, that's a, that's a fair point. The FIBA offensive goaltending rule, especially, is one that 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 I wonder. Like what that looks like if we start to see with with everyone playing as consistently above the rim as as happens in the NBA, um, if we would start to see some fairly gruesome hand injuries,
1: we could. Uh, That's certainly um, risk. You'd also see Andre Drummond become so much more valuable as a player.
2: Oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> but the other the other aspect of that, actually,
2: you'd know. see what you'd see is you see Reggie Jackson becoming more valuable as a player because he could his 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 alley oops to Drummond just are, are actually his shots.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you, it's true, you could theoretically do that. But and that guy actually gets right into the other benefit that I like about the FIBA goaltending rule, which is that it rewards guys who swish shots. Because, you know, if, if you if you're one of those people who have bounced off the rim and it rolls a little bit, that kind of a clean contact is less likely to go in under a FIBA rule than it is under the current one. Sure. Could call that the Aaron Afallo benefit because Aaron Afallo, as much as I love the guy and went to college with him, he makes a lot of shots that went off the rim first.
2: <laughs> it's actually a, a friend of mine a couple of years ago was uh, was working with kind of early versions of some of the view data, and he uh, he estimated that on jump shots, about um, only about eight percent of shots that hit the inside of the rim end up going in and about 4% that hit hit the outside of the rim first. So I just thought that was that was that interesting. interesting. And and I, I haven't confirmed that, but that's that I, I just I, I thought that was an interesting nugget to throw in there.
1: So really to me if if what we want to talk about is the championship, which I think is what naturally a lot of us including the two of us focus on, the real relevant team in the East is Cleveland, both due to their play and due to injuries of everyone around them. Has this stretch made you meaningfully more confident in the idea that they could win the title this year?
2: uh, Meaningfully? I don't know. I don't know what to make of, of them missing shots never against two overmatched teams. At the same time, I think that we we are maybe seeing more of the best of Kevin Love. I think Kevin Love was was uh, in particular just mired in in just a really poor shooting season for someone of his of his skills and talent. And you know him actually consistently making like catch and shoot threes, which are shots that you would think that he would consistently make. That does that that alters their their kind of their their ceiling and trajectory a little bit. Sure, but I think that. Expecting them to, you know, continue hitting near 50% of their threes. And also, I think, you know, looking forward to assuming the Warriors, because we love to assume things here, if how well the Warriors are, are were the best in the league at, at pre- preventing catch and shoot threes. And the Cavs have been feasting on catch and shoot threes in the first two rounds of the playoffs. So something's got to give. And I tend to lean towards the, the, Cavs offense looking different much more than the Warriors defense getting destroyed in, in the same way as Detroit's and Atlanta's was
1: I, I agree with that I think the biggest takeaway for me from Cleveland in the positive realm which it almost all is positive is that they've been willing to play Channing Fry. and they're getting closer to their optimal lineups let's say and... they, can't,
2: they can't they can't play they can't play Channing Frye against the Warriors
1: they can for very specific bits of time that do not involve Draymond Green.
2: I think that's a microcosm almost of of what uh, of what I what I'm saying is is that the you know that specific like yes the the the, the like a, a a lineup with like Love Irving James Fry and J.R. Smith like all right against anyone in the East that's just gonna just obliterate them. I don't think that that like that that lineup is going to give up you know 1.3 points per possession against the Warriors.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't have anybody who's like a, 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 a above like meaningfully above average defender now. LeBron LeBron's good when he when he's at at moments, but everybody else on that can be exploited and most importantly in some ways they can be exploited in a way that is pretty patently obvious.
2: Yeah, and it's, and so that's like the thing that that again that's it's like a thing that that uh, okay fine that, that that lineup might score against the Warriors, um, but it's almost ties back to you know uh, our initial discussion about the Spurs not exploiting Cantor. And just you know getting beat by him on one end, I think the Warriors um, would, would find some of the several obvious ways to to exploit uh, a lineup with uh, <laughs> with love and 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 uh, fry on the floor at the same time for example.
1: and even though they didn't face love in their playoff series last year, the Warriors in their in the games they played against Cleveland while he is been in Cleveland, they have done a very good job of just putting him in infinite pick and rolls and that's how you counter Kevin Love.
2: Yeah. And, and also I think that the, that, um, the Cavs have sort of played into their, into, into the Warriors hands a couple of times and they might continue to do so because, you know, uh, there's nothing that, uh, depending on who you listen to, there's nothing that can't be solved by more post-ups. Right. And so that's the, they like, Oh, let's, let's, let's just let's dump the ball into Kevin Love on the left block and, and let him work against Draymond Green. And that hasn't worked. At all. Is it shocking
1: um, to you that teams are still thinking Draymond Green is a guy that they can post up on?
2: It is. Although I like again, I don't. The number of guys who you can actually just like lazily dump the ball into on the left block and have it you know work out well is you know there aren't that many guys in the league where that's actually a good offense anyway. And then you put him up against a guy who's defensively going to really. Be tough to deal with in that spot. Um, this is almost an area where where Draymond Green's height helps, just because he, he's you're not going to back him down because his center of gravity is lower than yours.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, what what blew me away was. I think Terry Stotts is, generally speaking, a very good coach. And there were a couple times, I think it was in Game 1, might have been Game 2, where he just started posting up Mason Plumley on Draymond Green. <laughs> and we're sitting there going, like... <laughs> what are you going to accomplish here? Mason Plumley is not good at this. Draymond Green is very good at this. And you're putting him near the basket. I was just sitting there going, how is this happening?
2: Yeah. It. I I don't know. I mean, yeah, It's it's and and again I, especially in the Christmas Day game i think that uh, that uh that cleveland really just tried to tried to work that and it just did not work out well now love is playing better now but i still think especially like um better conditioned skinny kevin love that's just that's not a that's not a position of that's not a, an avenue of advantage for them really for for Cleveland right now,
1: and a big concern for them in that way is that they can't exploit they can't exploit the Warriors switching as much because their their smaller guys have pretty good size except for Steph and I mean Steph has decent size for a point guard but you know like if Clay Thompson switches on to Kevin Love Kevin Love will be able to do certain things but he's not going to be just manhandling Clay and the Warriors especially when they're in those small lineups they can help and switch and and everything else so quickly that. What you have to do against them is you have to make quick decisions and you have to make intelligent decisions, and that is really hard.
2: Yeah, the, I mean, I will say the one thing that maybe is is that uh, the calves have 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 come and have broken into a nice little habit of of you know with their, with their rotations allowing Kyrie a couple minutes to cook against second units uh, every game, and that's something that that might be. Uh, an interesting stretch, um, just depending on on how the Warriors run their rotation is who is actually on the floor to guard him. Um You know, is
1: it's it, going to be Barbosa and it's going to make me want to die.
2: <laughs> that was, I mean, Barbosa or Ian Clark or, or neither, neither of which. Uh, I, you know, I, I can can Livingston stay in front of him, um,
0: no, or or
2: not. or does or the most likely response is to kind of split up. Clay and Steph, and and just have uh, make sure Clay is in the game when that's
1: yeah. You'll probably invert their rest. So so yeah. What the Warriors have done, and they've and they've done this switch before, is Clay usually sits at the end of the at the end of the first quarter. He sits for like the last three minutes, and then usually the first couple minutes of the of the of the second. And it's the same general pattern in the fourth, and then Curry plays the entire first, and then comes in with about six minutes to go in the second. I think that they will maybe not invert it, but get somewhat close to that because Kyrie is a big enough structural change that you need to do that. And that was my biggest criticism. I think you and I talked about this, not on the podcast, but back in the day, was that like Chris Paul in 2014, Chris Paul owned Stephen Curry. He did a wonderful job against him. Curry has grown a lot since then. And so Mark Jackson had the opportunity because Doc Rivers never changes his rotations, to just switch Curry's minutes and have him play more against Darren Collison, who he cooked every time he was on the floor. And Mark Jackson's just like, nah, I'm not going to do that. But Curry does not approach it in the same way.
2: Yeah, although I mean, I think I've—it's it, funny for <laughs> the the amount of of criticism that that various pieces of the Warriors seem to get has been <laughs> kind of amusing to me. Whether it's the the Harrison Barnes slander or you and Nate, and I think Nate a little bit more just like apoplectic at uh, Ian Clark is on the floor. Oh, uh, Barbosa's on the floor. It's like uh, Ian Clark has given them good minutes, and you know it's.
1: I'm only like that with Spates, Spates over Azili. That's my only one because <laughs> yeah. that one's infuriating.
2: No, Though it, it was it was funny because in, in in game four, I like I saw you and Nate go back and forth on Twitter about this, and then like Spade's like gets a steal and hits two threes and in, in like a in like a ninety second span right after you guys are going you crazy. You can't about imagine this the
1: venom I got on Twitter, especially because at the <laughs> same time. He was making all these defensive mistakes, but that doesn't matter to the people who care about, like, what Mo Spates does in that context. Like, I like Mo Spates a lot. I think he was a very important part of, of that series. It's just that when you get into this point in the playoffs, rim protection is more important, and they don't need his offense against the Blazers. And so he gets those six points, and then he gives them back on the other end, but nobody cares about that because he got those because he got two threes.
2: He didn't give them back on the other end. He gave back three of them, so he's still...
1: <laughs> he gave back three buckets which count as two, you know, and at a certain point, of course, you know, dealing, dealing with everybody else is a part of our business. And just like owning up that I, you know, I, I thought that the Spurs would exploit Ennis Canner and they haven't, you know, some of that of course, is that I think they've missed some tactical things, but also you have to give a lot of credit to Ennis Canner. He's played incredibly well.
2: Yeah. I think, and that's, it's funny that we, I think that the, that, that, that you and I and a couple of other people have probably spent much more time on what, what San Antonio did wrong than what OKC did well. Part of it is just because the stuff that OKC did well is like, it's the stuff that OKC does. Like they have great isolation scores. They have physical talent that can crush on the offensive boards. So it's like, it, yeah, OKC did OKC thing, OKC things well. Yeah, and we they, treat they those won.
1: As, we treat those as structural constraints, basically. Yeah.
2: And, and, but it, it's the, you know, to get back to that game a little bit, like the, the, like the Spurs losing track of the shot clock a few times, the, Scur- the Spurs not playing to the whistle, bad ga- like, one of the the most important plays of the game, which hasn't gotten talked about today, is kind of when, uh, the, 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 the Thunder were, were, had a baseline out of bounds with like, six seconds on the shot clock, and they end up like, having to throw like a bailout, uh, pass to, to, uh, to Adams, kind of sort sort of posted up on Danny on Danny Green at like 15 feet, and instead of just you know staying solid because he's got five seconds to defend, he like Green like jumps over the top and goes for the steal and gives up a dunk, and it's just like you which, know which he
1: had done either which he did either just before or just after on Durant. Oh, is it just after and it actually worked, but that doesn't work on Stephen Adams.
2: Yeah, it's, you've got so much farther to go to get around Stephen Adams than to get around <laughs> Kevin Durant. Guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a, well, a and upper. also
1: they had pulled. They had pulled Duncan right before that play. He had made the block on Westbrook to create yeah. that to create that baseline out of bounds. Uh, they pulled him, and that's not to say that play never would have happened if Duncan was on the floor. But it, you know, would have been different. And oh, to Oklahoma City's credit, they forced a switch on that you know, with Duran and Adams, and that is in a way what facilitated that play. But you're right; that was a complete miscue by the Spurs that opened it up.
2: Yeah, and it's just it, those kind of, you know, th- these aren't like strategic errors or, or tactical things that, that the players or coaches are doing wrong. These are just like basic fundamental kind of execution things, which again, you don't, you just don't, you don't expect from San Antonio. Like, all right, their offense looks different because their players are different. That's all right. They, they made choices that we may be critical of in terms of where they went with the ball or stuff like that. But it's just like, these aren't, these, are, these aren't choice things. these are just like level of performance things that you can completely control. Like you it was twice in the fourth quarter that they just you know they 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 got an offensive rebound off an air ball with like eight seconds on the shot clock and then just completely brain farted that that you know, oh we gotta we actually have to do something, not just back it out and dribble for six seconds because, oh wait, there's the buzzer and and you know the the play where admittedly usually it gets it gets uh it it gets called a shot clock violation but like west there's one where they shot an air ball as the as the clock was expiring and Westbrook like dribbles th- through all five spurs who are standing and scores the, the play at the end of the game yeah fine it should have been a foul out on the floor but you know if you're aldridge you, you can't just do give a weak swipe foul there you have to you if you you have to foul there so foul there don't you know don't just paw at the ball and give up a three-point play and that's and seven or eight plays down the stretch like that where you just you know a team that's that's you expect to be as solid as the spurs just making those kind of mistakes and that's that was the really surprising thing about the end of that game to me
1: yeah those are all great points i agree with all of it and and one that I'll add on top of it is that oklahoma city in a way that strangely actually parallels portland is a team that sometimes can struggle the more actions you put them through defensively. You know, like if you make them do a lot of different things, Russell Westbrook's a guy that can lose players on screens. Kanter has flaws defending in space. You know, they have a couple other guys that can make miscues in certain circumstances. And the Spurs were, a lot of times, they were doing a single action without a whole lot going on otherwise. And that's exactly what Oklahoma City wants you to do. It's basically the same as defending their own offense. And if like except maybe sometimes that's one more action than they usually do. But you that's not exploiting what they're bad at. And while I understand the idea from the Spurs angle, and I also think that the Spurs were settling a little bit too much for for deep twos, while they have guys that are good at making them. That doesn't mean you you can't do better. And I think that's one of the biggest credits for the Warriors at this point is that they were able to ingrain in their heads that in all their players that what used to be a good shot to you is still a good shot, but you can do, but you can get a great shot if you work it a little bit harder and you give it a couple more seconds.
2: It's a good shot with six on the shot clock, not with sixteen on the shot clock, right? And that's yeah, yeah. The last couple of games, I think we've seen we've seen the Spurs. All right, they they break down a, even when you know they they do break down a defense and kick the ball to an open shooter. It's an open shooter at eighteen feet, and that's you know that's that's okay. You haven't really punished if if that's you know if. if You know, it's it's the 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 threes and layups thing is is it's not it's not that there's anything intrinsically better about that, other than the fact that they're worth more points on average. That you know, if you shoot them at at even a good rate, you're gonna do better if if you're standing five feet further back or ten feet closer. Maybe it's personnel. Maybe it's they're not breaking down the defense like enough and i i would i would love to be able to see just compare you know how many times the spurs even from like first half to second half of uh, cuz i think they did better at this in the first half than second half of the last two games is how many times they are you know running action on one side and swinging the ball to the other side like in the half court and again that used to be kind of the staple of their offense and that's that is very much a staple of the warriors offense and they just it just doesn't see it seems like the ball gets on a side of the floor and stays there and that and that 's like you said that's that 's leaving Oklahoma City in a position where they don 't have to you know make these make these reads and adjustments as the play is going on because it 's all right in front of them
1: yeah that 's a great point so i 'm just wondering because we don 't talk about it as much now as we do sometimes during the regular season, I find myself a lot of times in this while I'm of course I'm appreciating what's in front of us thinking about the insanity that is coming in July do you are you able to focus on May or do you catch yourself every once in a while thinking about what's coming up
2: uh you know as teams get eliminated you start to think a little bit about what they're doing but right now I have enough on my plate right right now that that just the game the games in front are uh are are kind of are kind of the focus
1: yeah that's true and and also I guess for me part of it is that I've been writing these off-season previews for the sporting news and we'd made the decision with my editor and I that we were going to do start from the best teams and go to the worst. And so I think what that has done for my timeline is that I just, with all these teams that are being eliminated, I've already like worked out their cap cap situation. I've already done all this stuff. So I've been running through it for or year, even like a month and a half, depending just depending on, you know, what, which team it was and when I wrote it and it's going to be wild. But at the same point, It's so it's so kind of unpredictable and the the landscape is going to change so quickly that it's not really about predicting it. It's just going to be fun. Right. Uh, Yeah. And so that'll be and, and also with the shorter moratorium, that means the moratorium will be done by the time summer by the time Vegas Summer League starts, which will be fun. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're about a month into the playoffs now. What players have really impressed you in terms of like maybe that they showed you something that you hadn't seen before?
2: Off the top of my head, Corey Joseph has been a guy who is, who has been, like he, I've, I've liked him all season. I thought that was a good signing for Toronto in the offseason. I thought they had a lot of good signings in the offseason and he's been certainly, you can almost argue he's been their, their, this might be going too far, but he might have been their best player throughout this, this heat series. Um, Valanchunas probably has been their best player, but now that he's out of the series, he might have been their, their, their best kind of with, the, the degree to which uh, Lowry and DeRozan are struggling, you know? So so that's that's one guy who's certainly... Norman
1: Powell, for me, has done... I thought he's done a nice job. He's,
2: he's, he's definitely done a nice job. Um, Dwayne
1: Wade. I thought, I, I've, been oh, so, yeah. I've been so pleased yeah. with, with Wade. He was one of my favorites when he was younger. And the fact that he's been able to go back at 34 and pull out this kind of a performance. And he's done a lot better defensively than I thought he would as well.
2: Um, the guy who has been super enjoyable the last little bit has been Al Farouk Amino. The difference between scared to shoot Al Farouk Amino and like, yeah, I'm going to shoot that and I'm going to make it Al Farouk Amino has been just super fun in terms of, because that's, that's like uh, Adi Joseph, your editor, pointed out that he's kind of always had, had sort of a, a funky, deceptive handle, and now that. It seems like he's made enough shots that guys are actually closing out on him. He's getting a chance to use it a little bit, and that's kind of been fun. He's had some some, some good finishes at the rim, some, some good driving kicks. Um, so I, I, I've enjoyed that.
1: I think what, what you're seeing from him offensively is not necessarily in terms of role, but just in terms of skill set is what I think Aaron Gordon should be looking at in the future is just a guy who can hit that shot and then guys have to close out. And his handle isn't terrible either and just make two dribbles and a smart decision
2: two dribbles and dunk on everybody cuz that's a well, smart Yeah, cuz that's all he needs. But yeah. same idea. I don't know. I think um in some ways Kawhi has been just enormously impressive.
1: Because he just has it's, plays that you're just sitting there going, how like that one where he had like an a, a backhanded steal.
2: Yeah.
0: In was that game 3?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I think how it was, was game, game 4. four. Yeah, it's, it's like I as if he's it, like he's catching a frisbee. Um, was just kind of reaching out to yoink and, and, and snap. Um, and just like my, my, perhaps my favorite play of the playoffs is the, is his like two handed dunk all over, uh, Stephen Adams. The one like, where was... he lost
1: the ball and got it back and still worked yeah. on him?
2: Yeah. And, and then just like his, like some of these offensive rebounds where he's just like, you know, suction cupping the ball to his hands. He's been, he he's obviously been been been, been very impressive. Um oh, and
1: and for me Damian Lillard like just the fact that he had a couple of those just indelible I'm going to make my shots I am it doesn't really matter what you do. I I love when he can pull that off.
2: And this is this is I'm going to eat, eat a slight bit of crow. Uh here someone who's been like certainly in this current series has been, you know, more effective than I thought probable has been Dion Waiters. I still don't think is good, but has been very good against San Antonio. So, there.
1: Well, I, th- I, I agree <laughs> with you, and I think that with him and, Bo- and with Kanter, there's a very important lesson here, which is that players who are limited and who have, who have flaws, if you can do a good job of minimizing what they're worst at and accentuating what they are best at, they're very solid, functional players. You know, like, there are things that Deion Waiters can do. Again, another guy with a low center of gravity, I think he can do well with that, who's, you know, can be inattentive as a help defender. So you put him in an assignment that makes a lot of sense, and then offensively you kind of have to deal with him just taking yellow shots and sometimes doing that doing that kind of stuff. But players like that are so talented. I mean, Ennis Canner, as much as you and I have both ripped on him, is an in- in- immensely talented individual
2: we only have three years of data on this because it's the sportview's only been around for three years but his, his sport view defines or the the public sport view stats define uh a contesting a rebound as being uh within 3.5 feet of the ball when it's when it's secured that's basically arm's length and so one of the stats i've like to track is kind of a chase percentage like how often you're just in the area and i think that's actually Actually, a pretty good measure of how active someone is on the offensive boards. He uh, when he was on the floor, 42% of of available offensive rebounds he contested, which is uh in the 3 years of sport view, it's like uh almost 10% the highest of anybody. Just uh, just uh, uh Tristan Thompson has always been very impressive. He he was at like 34% this year or something like that. Just a just a massive number in terms of just Attacking the offensive glass relentlessly. And that's obviously been kind of the, the, the thing that he's really just pummeled the Spurs with, you know, the last couple of games of this series. And so that's, you know, okay, well maybe we're devaluing that, that aspect a little bit. But if you can, you know, grab someone said, was it, was it Nate maybe who said that like with Adams and, and, and Cantor on the floor, they had like 60% offensive rebound rate last night.
1: Uh, yeah, Dan Feldman tweeted out, Nate mentioned it that their their offensive rebound rate with yeah. and Adams was 61.5% last night. Yeah.
2: It's it's impossible to construct a good defense if you're giving up 60% offense. <laughs> if if your defensive rebound rate is, you know, 40%, it doesn't matter almost how badly the other team might be shooting because they're just like playing volleyball and eventually the ball's going to go in.
1: And and so. along along those lines, I, Canner offensively fits into an idea that I've talked, I've thought about a while and haven't talked about much publicly, which is the idea that the way you, z- kind of zig while everybody or zag while everybody else is zigging, however people say that, is having one, really good offensive rebounder who does not have as much transition defense responsibility. And so for me, that that person was Fess because they cover the Warriors, and Azili's is a very good offensive rebounder. But Kanner is actually a better example of it than Azili is in the sense that, you know, he's probably already going to be there and all that kind of stuff. And so it's true that teams probably should de-emphasize, on the aggregate, should de-emphasize um, offensive rebounding at the extent of that. But if you have four guys back, that's enough.
2: You know, I'd, I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree with it. With the the should thing.
1: Yeah, That's should it. might be a strong word.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that you know there there is a trade off there, and it's hard to you know it's hard to totally parse it out. But I, I have a strong suspicion the league has probably gone too far in the transition defense direction in terms of 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 and 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 I think we're kind of we're kind of seeing that in the playoffs with how big a weapon the offensive rebound can be, you and. Know,
1: Go the reverse not. and just have Danny Green back
2: there. <laughs> he should, because he's not going to get the offensive rebound anyway. Just, just like, all right, shot goes up, Danny, sprint back to the free throw line, and then you'll handle everything, and all four, and the other four guys go to the boards, yeah. and we'll be unstoppable. I, I, I think that uh, we should, uh, we should definitely uh, have someone ask Pop, uh, Pop about that strategy, and then in the next scrum.
1: Do, do people, I, I think Danny Green's transition defense is one of those things that people like you and I just, not we don't take it for granted because I think we both love it, but that it's under, probably underappreciated by the masses because it is something that is not easy to be good at, and he's insanely good at it.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it is, it's just his, his ability to like be there and bother a guy just enough and not foul. It, it's funny because he's he, he himself is not a great transition offensive player. <laughs> Which is, you know, it, so it, it's kind of amusing in that way that he's he's both team's best transition defender at times.
1: Yeah, it's not the equivalent of like those good hitting pitchers who know what's coming and just kind of can can wait out the counts. It's kind of the reverse. It's just he's just he's just all defense. He's just all transition defense all the time.
2: Yeah, kind of uh, on the flip side of that was one of the the weird just oddities of of the last cup years is how bad like how how bad a fast break player Ray Allen was for someone of his skill and athleticism and it's sort of one of those those just things that remind you that uh that that players are are um unique bundles of 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 skills abilities and weaknesses that just is something just so unexpected, like, that that just sticks out like that for a certain player.
1: Well, and, and as Nate always likes to point out, not always, but frequently, like Randy Foy's post-defense. They're just weird things that specific guys are good at or bad at. And as Kanter hitting corner threes now, like, there are things that certain guys are good or bad at that are, are surprising, and it's it's always fun when a team can actually utilize that. Sure. Yeah, actually, if, if the Thunder move on to the next round, we'll actually see some of Randy Foy post-defense because... Clay will just back him down for better or for worse. Yay! Okay, since so since you since you mentioned it in passing and I didn't follow up on it, let's take a brief second to talk about Harrison Barnes. <laughs> I don't
2: I don't understand Warriors fans. I don't understand the the.
1: I I understand it. I'll, I'll say that. I I no, under- I, I, I understand. I
2: understand being disappointed in him. I do because he's you know from like the level of hype. He's okay. He's not that guy. But he's 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 a good player who is, you know, the, the, first of all, the the uh, as I go, Chuck, first of all, the hate on a guy for making uh, a fairly obvious econ- the economically the rational decision. I was like, no, I'm going to get more than 64 million this offseason. Have you seen how much money is out there is, you know, that's that's a weird tick. Of, of sports fans, I'll say, is like being kind of reflexively pro-ownership in, in, in those things by saying, ah, he's overpaid. I, how dare he? It's like, what, you want him to give the money back? like it, Especially no, when
1: it doesn't affect the flexibility of the team too much.
2: It, I mean, you know, even if it, to some extent, even if it does. It's, oh, great. It's, you know, if you're him, that's my problem, that you made bad decisions elsewhere, that, you know, paying me what I am able to get in this market, like, hamstrings you, that's my fault. Like, you know, it... it, it You know, oh, they should take less. Well, if you're, you know, Tim Duncan, you've played for twenty years and 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 made money and presumably saved money, um, and you know, you going out with one last title run is like, is is more valuable to you than the extra couple million you might get. That's one thing. If you're you know, early 20s, and this is your chance to really get paid and set up, begrudging someone that is... is
1: Yeah, like, nobody gave it, Chandler Parsons crap for taking taking a, a better contract with the Mavericks and the Rockets deciding not to match it. I, well, well, maybe it, some people it, did.
2: It, it, well, Daryl did, but it's understandable because, it's, you know, it's, it, 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 it hurt his team, but...
1: But that's why you, when you let a guy go to restricted for agency, same thing happened with Jeremy Lin. That's going to happen. And Maury was on the benef, well, largely on the beneficial yeah. side of that one. But, but so that... Harrison, I'll, I'll go back with one thing also with Harrison that I, I understand that as I'm around Warriors fans probably a little bit more is that the, <laughs> just way, just that, <laughs> the way that he is valuable – particularly defensively is a lot less obvious because he's he's versatile he's versatile and so you can bounce him around and he's generally getting the less flashy assignment and he's very good at that and that's a lot you know that's a lot harder to appreciate there aren't many guys who can do that and when you couple that with his ability to typically hit open shots and not demand the ball. that's like it's it's a weird combination of skills to be valuable, but for this warriors team, it's incredibly important. yeah,
2: and I think that uh, that that Jared Dubin and I talked about this uh, a couple months ago um on his podcast is if he's not able to hold up as the nominal four on defense on the boards the 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 death lineup doesn't work. well, he's he's the he you know he's the fifth beetle, okay. It's it's if he's the guy who enable enables everything. It's a bad bad analogy because there were only four, of course, by the time they became the Beatles. So scratch that. But you get the point. Is you know he's he's fine. He's the least valuable guy in the band, but it's still the band doesn't work without all five of its members. You like he's the rhythm guitar player, and and it's obvious. Oh, well, that's replaceable. We can well, you don't have anyone else who can do that. Right now, and, and he's enabling like the most destructive lineup in the NBA right now. And he's not the cause of it. Obviously, you know, Stephen Clay's shooting and Draymond's versatility and, and, and Iggy's all around everything are, are more important, but it's not, but, but his, his contribution to that in that specific way does allow the rest of it to work as well as it does. It would still work if you had just, you know, run of the mill, small forward playing up guy. But it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It would. Who do you sub in there? That is a a quote unquote worse player than him that makes the lineup work as well. That's you know find find me that guy.
1: Yeah, it hasn't been Brandon Rush as yeah. much as I. No, I mean find me that, that
2: find work. me that guy around the league.
1: Yeah. And also, because of the Warriors' limited financial flexibility and the fact that if they had any financial flexibility, they would be using it on something bigger than that than this. You know, they'd be using it on a certain number 35 that they might be playing in the next round. You can't realistically do better. And when you can't realistically do better, you do it. And that doesn't necessarily mean Harrison Barnes will be on the Warriors for the next 10 years or that he'll even play out that contract with them. But that's why they have to match. I mean,
2: I don't know if they have to match, but it's it's... I mean, you you've as we've just talked about, you've kind of been studying this a little bit more than I have. But uh, he he's a, a a decent, valuable player who, through you know, circumstances not totally within his control, is going to get paid a lot this summer, and that's that's somehow clouding the judgment that he's somehow not valuable to this team because he's not Draymond Green, even though they were drafted you know twenty something positions apart, and it, it, um. Well, he should be better than. Well, you got to you know, you got you you lucked into a, you know, a top twenty player in the league, in the second round. That that's not something you should hold against the guy who is a a, a somewhat disappointing early first rounder, but by no means a bust. But at the, but it seems like the, it's it's taken almost personally that that he's he's not quote that guy.
1: Plus, since Curry's contract is rising and Bogut and Iguodala's fall, Curry, if, if they re-sign Barnes, Curry's only going to be the fourth highest paid Warrior this next year <laughs> instead of being fifth.
2: Yay. <laughs> it, that, yeah. it,
1: it's going to be, it's incredible. Like, I wonder if anybody's going to do this, but the surplus value that Curry has provided on this contract could be the highest of anybody in league history.
2: Uh, maybe I I think that uh, there was definitely some years where um, it was you know famously an issue, and the amount of money is is different, and and everything like that. But but I think I want to say that like some of those early Bulls teams, Scottie Pippen was making like you know three and four million. Well yeah and I'd
1: exclude rookie contracts with this because Rookie yeah. Le- rookie LeBron, like he yeah. was an all star by the second year and he was making peanuts. But
2: yeah, no, but that I mean those were that was like his second second contract and he was yeah, you know, obviously right. a very different environment, but still like Yeah. But still, yeah, obviously Curry making, you know yeah, basically half the max when he's, you know, the best player in the league is is ridiculous. But it's that sort of ignores the fact that the contract when signed was a risk on both parties' parts, right? Um, and it's worked out. It's hard to say it hasn't worked out well for both of them, by the way, because I think <laughs> I think given you know Under Armour, um, Steph is doing fine. So and they
1: wouldn't have gotten Igudala if Curry signed for more, right? And and, and, and that's, that's worked out.
2: Yeah, and I, and it's it's hard to argue that uh, you know being the best player on like a, his magical team has been bad for him on net so
1: you and I yeah. have never discussed this but how do you feel about individual max contracts just kind of from a personal perspective
2: uh, this I, I'm glad you asked actually if you were designing a system from scratch would you have them I don't know um, I can I can construct a pretty good argument for them to be honest uh, is, is it something that the the union should spend a sink sec, a second of time uh, trying to abolish? In, in the next round of CBA negotiations, uh, if it costs them any, like, sliver of BRI, I, no. I think that, I, I feel like a mistake that people make a lot when they talk about these contracts is like, well, what is the free market? Blah, blah, blah. Well, the market between NBA teams is not the free market. The NBA teams are not. Competitors in that way. The NBA is a competitor in that way, that way. The NBA as a competitor, as a competitor in the marketplace with, you know, Hollywood and the NFL and European soccer is fully within its rights to, you know, negotiate the pay scale with its employees. And that's what they've done. That's what the CBA is. And I think you can make a pretty strong argument that the individual max is good for the not just for the owners but for the league as a whole as a uh, you know a, an interest and revenue generating engine i think you know you do with the individual max lebron is making 50 million a year who else is on his team is that good for the league or is you know making sure that lebron's team has 65% of the salary cap still to work with to find other players to put around him to make sure his team is good is i, I think that's better for the league as a as a basketball product than, than if it was you know LeBron and fourteen minimum salary guys.
1: Yeah, from a from a moral perspective, I certainly understand the argument against having maximum contracts because you know there there is that issue of oh you can't get what you're worth and I understand that. But for, as you said, from a quality of play standpoint, and so there are two things that I think are really well. I, the, be useful.
2: Can I interrupt you real of quick? Of course. Uh, I mean, what you're worth is what you're worth within this system this the this, this system is not something that that like exists in the wild it's right
1: but i'm i'm just saying you know in the in the hypothetical of if you you had it versus you didn't like that it makes a very large difference in the lives of those players and when you think about the revenue that they generate you know like the people are going mostly to see lebron they're not going to see you know well, Richard Jefferson's a bad example because he's making the minimum. But like J.R. Smith it's, making five million, like they're they're going yeah. they're going to see him. But I, I will going say to see the Cavs too. Yeah,
2: I, I will say that though the guys that who they are going to see um, have, uh, you know, though the, there's there's not that many of those guys, and those guys tend to be also be the guys who. Uh, have are are rewarded for that in other ways.
1: That's that's so totally it's
2: true. N- and that's not you know that doesn't that doesn't absolve the the league from you know treating them quote fairly, but I think that it's not you have to treat the, the players as a whole fairly, and that's you know that gets into a whole you know the how well the the, the players association was run like. uh prior to Michelle Roberts that's a that's a whole other issue um which you know v- totally fair to to have criticisms of of the previous regime but you know ensuring at least kind of the appearance of parity possibility of hope i mean if you're again if you're going if you're going uncapped or just no salary cap or if you're going no individual max how many teams are viable like if if you make a bat in a in a, in a in a situation with no individual max, you give it. This is a situation the NHL kind of had for a little bit. You give out a a ten year five hundred million dollar contract to a guy who turns out to, to be you know a, a run of the mill all star instead of a a top five player. Well, your fran, your your franchise is done. Is that is that good for is that good for the the league? Is that good for the, all of the players in terms of? I mean, if, if the Knicks had been able to, had, without, say, the Stepian rule, if the Knicks had been able to make even more trades over the years to, you know, hamstring their, their future efforts, is, is that good for the league as a whole if, like, the, the New York franchise can do that to themselves? Is it good for the league as a whole if, in an, an uncapped system, if, pick a number of teams, 10 teams probably, just aren't, aren't viable competitively. They're just not. Um, in the American sporting system, in the European sporting system, uh, you know, with promotion, relegation, much stronger ties to, to localities and stuff like that, maybe it works and it, it, it does work on some level, but does that work in, in kind of the American sporting scene where you have, you know, other options to go to? Yeah, that's um, a great point. what is the NBA better off if, if, if 20 teams, if 15 teams are, are really viable long term? I, I don't think so and and so i'm very reticent to say to say these big sweeping changes to 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 kind of privilege privilege the the you know the, the ten or so guys who don't really need the help um uh is is a good thing as you know that part of that is is me being selfish as a basketball fan i think that more games are better than less <laughs> so that's uh, the, the, I have some bias there too but I don't think I'm I'm making a, r- a ridiculous argument that 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 stuff would be bad for the league as a whole and in the medium term possibly bad for the individuals that, in question because of that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and that's why the two reforms that I would push and I've done this, and this was actually in an early, I think it was in a mid level exceptional piece actually that I wrote. Is there two tweaks that I would make. One is you slightly increase it. So right now the maxes are 25, 30, 30 and 35% of the cap, but of course it's a little bit off from that. I would push that up 5%, so make it 30, 30, 35, and 40 So then it makes it a little bit harder to put some of these super teams together, especially with the rising cap. And the other one is what I call the cornerstone exception. And so what the cornerstone exception is is that if you, a player has been on a team for x number of years and I put it in the piece but you know let's say it's 5 or 6 or whatever you want to do there are two things that can happen if you if the team wants team and player agree to it is that half of a player's contract cannot count against the cap and only half of the only half of their contract counts against the maximum so what that would mean is in that circumstance you could go over the max to re-sign your own player who had been there for a long time And the reason for that, for me, is is going. It's kind of an extension of the bird rights idea that about continuity. And so it it would be expensive, and it would lead to a couple albatrosses. But I think it would be albatrosses in the cases that are worth it. Like you know, if if LeBron wants to make forty million from the calves, I'm fine with that.
2: I think we've we we discussed at the time, and it's the kind of thing where. You know, finding the sweet spot for the number of years the guy has to have been on the team, and then the length of that kind of that kind of cornerstone contract. It's like it's a very narrow needle you're trying to thread there. Because if you make them be on the team for too long, then they're going to be so old by the time that they are able to get this cornerstone exception that that it's you're you're basically saying, well, the last three years of that are going to be pretty terrible, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, Also, that's why uh, if you make it a proportion of the contract, then like if Paul, if if Kobe's getting, you know, if if guys getting ten million, then it counts as five. It doesn't have to be at a full max.
2: Though I mean, I think we're, we're, at that point we're we're dealing in, in getting into the realm of where the actual money matters to to some franchises more more than others. You know, if you because if you're talking about like letting a team spend, you know, in some cases twenty extra million, right. For X percent of the team in the league, that twenty extra million—that's a, that's a that's a that's a chunk of change, you know, as compared to their their revenues. So I don't I don't hate the idea in principle. It's just the the um, finding that sweet spot of like the right number of years and the amounts and stuff like that would would take a lot of very careful study. I think.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely true. And as we've seen with the CBA, small things can have very large consequences. So you absolutely have to think everything through. Indeed. Anything else you want to discuss?
2: Uh I don't think so. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a pleasure as always, and this, this might be uh, might be my last time on for a while. He said portentously.
1: Yeah, um, and and I'm not going to comment on that. But it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure.
2: Let's in, enjoy the rest of the playoffs, and hopefully we get uh, the, hopefully the 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 calves that we've seen so far in the playoffs show up in the finals, and we get a good finals.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again to Seth Partnow for taking the time to come on. You can read him at The Nylon Calculus and numerous other wonderful outlets, and you can follow him on Twitter at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Always a pleasure talking with him, one of the smartest people around, especially one of the smartest people I get, I'm get. i lucky enough to get to talk to. And it is true that this is going to be a, a really fascinating rest of this year, and I'm thinking a lot about July already, and, you know, the off-season previews are ongoing at the Sporting News, and it's really exciting to kind of see all that. You can also read my work on the Warriors at The Athletic. That's theathletic.com slash sfbay, and a lot of work of other great people, including a and a that I'm going to try to make a, a, a frequent feature, not a regular feature, like timed, for The Athletic, and the first one was Nate Duncan, Seth. Andy Liu of Golden State of Mind, Jared Weiss of CLNS Radio, and myself, and it was a lot of fun, and to just kind of have talk about some of these bigger questions, and that's up on the site. And yeah, it's 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 a pleasure to do everything else. Of course, Dunked On is going on, and it, a great way to support any podcast that you listen to, but hopefully mine, is to subscribe to it, download every episode, put a rating and a review on iTunes. People actually do look at that, and. Potential sponsors also do, and it, it really does help, and we appreciate it. Also, if you want to interact with me personally on the podcast or whatever else, you can hit me up on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or you can email Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can. I am regrettably behind right now, but as all of you guys probably know, guys and girls, I am very busy so that is what happens but I do promise I read everything if I get something in my inbox I do read it and I always want to give thoughtful responses so if I if I do that then you know then it takes a little bit of time sometimes and I I, I hope that you understand that and that I also don't promise to get back to everything but I really do appreciate it and gotten some really nice notes in the last little bit and it's nice to just know that people are getting something out.
0: Make your Fourth of July sparkle with a little help from your friendly neighborhood Randalls. You'll find great deals on grilling favorites and more. Everything you need to make any summer gathering festive. For a delicious cookout, shop with your remarkable card and pick up 80 percent lean ground beef in the value pack for just 1.99 a pound. Limit four packages. And get a sweet deal on fresh strawberries, blueberries, or raspberries, two for three dollars. Tastier meats, sweeter produce, better celebrations. Randalls proudly been Texas family since 1966.
1: and that are appreciating it and I've also gotten some requests to do more of things like the offseason off season previews like I did with James Ham and I did with Derek Bodner and those will absolutely be coming I, it will be on the teams that I find the most interesting. I will not hit all 30 teams I'm not even going to come close I'm gonna do you know let's say about five or so of the teams that I think are most compelling. And if I if I find the right combination of guests and subject for other teams, then I will reach beyond that. But I don't want to push it too hard. And I mean, and I, I know these teams fairly well, but of course, you have to you have to really get somebody who you can interview. And that's what this show is. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Take care and make it a great day. Old Navy for revolutionary prices on Summer's Most Stylish Shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of
0: them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. One of the best things about Randalls is all the friendly and helpful people. And now Randalls is looking for more great employees just like you. That's right. All Randall's stores are now hiring friendly new faces to join their team. Ages 16 and up can apply today. If you or someone you know is looking for a job with flexible schedules, great benefits, career advancement opportunities, and even scholarships, then have them stop by the nearest Randall's store for more details. Randall's. It's just better.